Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend Corey at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. I go out of the dirt with two laps to go. All right, first of all, don't get excited. 
Uh, you're in third place. That's a pretty respectable position. Now, what you do is this. When they slow down at it for turn four, you just keep your foot on the gas and drive right by them on the outside. Harry, you told me nobody goes to the outside on turn four. Well, now I'm telling you differently. If you go to the outside, you can hold. He's going to end up in the wall. All right, Colt. Pace car's about ready to duck on off. We don't have a whole lot of time to talk about this. Well, tell me how. It's because we got a real good set of matched tires on them. What? What? Those tires are matched perfect and staggered spectrum. You're going to get him killed. The pace car's about ready to duck on off. If you go to the outside, you can hold it. All right, Harry, when it comes to the car, I take your word. The white flag is out. One lap to go. The boy don't have the balls to pass me on the outside. And they're heading into treacherous turn four. Yes! Cole Trickle wins his first ever NASCAR victory. Lovers, it's time for your traffic report. There's a six. Oh. What is it, Scooby? Can't you see I'm broadcasting here? Pile up on the tri-level. Got you backed up all the way to the off-ramp. So, if you're traveling this morning, try to give yourself an extra day or two, folks. <laughs> Hang on, folks. I've just been handed this important bulletin. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our regularly scheduled program to bring you this special report. Like live, as it happens. Hey, this is Larry the Cable Guy, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And if you're not, you're a communist. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tantalk, 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you miss any of our past shows, Google Nostalgic Radio Cars, and you can go to our archive page. Good evening, Bobby. How you doing? Hey, pretty good. Sound good in there. Ah, sound pretty good. Okay, well, we got our co-host sitting here with us since yep, uh, yep. you're driving the studio. Number one salesman in there, yeah. Yeah, number one salesman. <laughs> Scooby. Scooby, Scooby, Dooby. Do you know how to drive a radio station? Yes, you do, Bobby. At any rate, all right, a big shout-out to Tommy. Now, we got a special guest for you this evening. Yes, we're continuing with Rocktober. So we got a musical guest calling in here in a little bit. In the meantime, what did we do this weekend? Well, I'll tell you what. You know, we, you know that I appraise cars, do diminished value, total losses, and appraisals, and stuff like that. And um, in a week, couple of weeks or so, or a couple of weeks or so, I'll be heading back to Alabama to appraise another rare car, and I'll tell you about that when I get back. But in the meantime, over the weekend, I did another one. And oddly enough, and, uh, you know, there's a generational shift going on, right? Now, granted, you know, I'm into the 60s, 50s, 60s. Early 70s, you know, muscle cars, hot rods, uh, sports cars, things of that nature. But I got a call from a gentleman. It was a referral, and he was looking at a 1976 Oldsmobile Cutlass Salon. 
Now, what was interesting about this is, yeah, you know, it's it's an old Cutlass and it's a Salon, which is a two-door, you know, kind of they're uh, comparable to a Monte Carlo Landau version or something like that. And uh, vinyl roof car, deluxe interior, things of that nature. Anyway, and a couple of weeks ago, we did a, a 78 Trans Am. So the 70s, late 70s, early 80s cars are now coming on to, uh, you know, they're kind of like in vogue, as you would say. And uh, But here's what was unique about this car. The car was actually down looking in Gulfport. And uh, the original, the second owner was selling the car to a third owner, which is a gentleman that hired me to go out there and do a PPI, which is a pre-purchase inspection and an appraisal on the car. Now, I didn't know what to expect, you know. Um, being, you know, a hot rider, muscle car, high horsepower kind of junkie that I am, a Cutlass is a pretty docile car, you know. And then back in the 70s, late 70s, like Pontiac Grand Prix, a Cutlass Salon, a Buick Century, um, what else was it? You know, the Thunderbird, the Cougars, uh, those were kind of disco-era cars, okay? So let's call this a disco-era car. But this car had 38,000 original miles, spent most of its life in Arizona. It was a rust-free car. It had a little bit of paintwork, touch-up, tiny bit of bubbling around the vinyl top. But what was interesting is the the second owner that was selling the car, I, I said, what kind of paperwork and documentation do you have? Because I always emphasize documentation, you know, because that's important, or provenance of the cars. At any rate, so while I was sitting in the passenger seat, I opened up the glove box, and there was a stack of papers in there. Unbeknown to the owner was the original Monroney sticker, which is the window sticker that you see on the, stuck on the side of the glass when you buy a car, the original checklist for the order list, checklist or order list, check order list, whatever, you know, and I actually did that back in the day when I went to order a brand new car at one point in time, and that uh, was really cool because you could expect out, you know, whether you want a 273 rear end, with 243 rear end, a 308 rear end, whether you want power windows, whether you want air conditioning, whether you want manual windows, whether you want deluxe, whether you want standard interior, you know, all that kind of stuff. Two barrel, 350, four barrel, you know, 455, uh, which I think you could not get, but let's, as I'm just using this as an example. So that was in there. The original bill of sale was in there. The original sales slip was in there, and the original finance agreement was in there. The one thing I was looking for, and I don't remember if they had them in 76 or not, but that was the protector plate, which is the warranty card, which you hear everybody talking about on the early car, especially specifically GMs, but they were Ford had them, Chrysler had them as well. That was a little card that looked like a credit card, and you swiped it every time you could, took your car in for warranty. It's a warranty card, basically. And I did not find that, but it had the original key fob, original set of keys, owner's manual, service manual, radio service manual, even um, maps that went back to Indiana days and Arizona days, which was pretty cool. So this car was extremely well, let's just say, documented in terms of paperwork. Now, that's one of the things that you really want to look for in a car. And it was a two-owner car, now going to its third owner. And so, you know, and in excellent condition. I mean, 38,000 miles. I didn't believe it either. But the car was really, really, really looked at. The only thing it really needed was just a good detail. And, uh, you know, it had a set of older BF Goodrich radials on it. 255, 6015s, which is kind of a big size tire for a 15-inch wheel. But overall, a really, really, really nice car. The spare tire was in the trunk. The sticker on the trunk, you know, the spare tire st- decal sticker, you know, that had fallen off, but it was off to the side. That was there. The original jack, jack plate. Jack handle, spare tire tie down, um, bumper jack, everything was in there. I mean, it was pretty, pretty complete car. And uh, 354 barrel, so, you know, I mean, it was nicely specced out. Reclining seats, he had manual windows, he specced it out, I saw the, the spec sheet, specced it out with manual windows, but power door locks, AM FM stereo, tilt and cruise. And that was, I think, 75, 76 was the first year they had the, the blinkers on the, on the stock, tilt column. And uh, but reclining seats, reclining bucket seats on the uh, driver's side and on the passenger side. That was very unusual. I mean, it was kind of standard deal in European cars, but very unusual for American cars back in the day. So I was overly impressed with that. So uh, 
Um, I'm working on the value of that car right now. I'm not exactly sure what they're worth, but they're all over the board. But they could be worth anywhere between fifteen and twenty-five thousand dollars. So. Uh, hey, you learn something every day. On that note, I think Bobby's going to go. Uh, you're going to fire up something on the uh, on that term table right now. Yeah, first I was just going to run through it real quick. Okay, is the place to find all your car shows in Florida and beyond, all over the state. And uh, Rib Shack Barbecue is the best place to get the best smoking barbecue. Rated Tampa Bay Newspapers Reader's Choice uh, two years in a row. And uh, that's seven two seven five zero one ninety ninety to place an order. And, uh, of course, as always, like our number one pillow salesman, Bill Cochran, for that my pillow. That's you know, I got to tell you, I, got, I picked up one of those pillows here not too long ago, and, you know, there's a lot of advertising, a lot of testimonials and stuff like that. But I will testimonial here. <laughs> I will testify. I will sell, tell you that I've actually used this my pillow, and it actually works pretty good. I'm mm-hmm. pretty impressed with it. On promo, that note, promo code Bill. Bobby's going to fire up something here real cool. We're going to play a little uh, vintage, uh, nostalgic. Uh, what do we got lined up here, Bobby? We're going to crash and burn at the rest Oh, area. yeah. Since we had Pat Travers on our radio show last week, here's a little uh, tribute to Pat Travers. Crash and burn, which right now I think I'm going to go dodge the office here for a second, and I'll be right back after I crash and burn. In the meantime, everybody, stay tuned to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We'll be right back. Enjoy the song. carshows.com on your computer or on your mobile device flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles whether you're looking for car shows cruise-ins meetups automotive festivals cars and coffees or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine then this is a site for you check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com Okay, we're back in your tune into Subject Radio and Cars. And uh, while we're preparing for our guest to call in here in a few minutes, uh, he's uh, up and over a couple states. That reminds me, the last time I went to Alabama, where was I? Oh, yeah, I was in Georgia. I was cutting through there, and I wasn't quite sure where I was because I wasn't paying attention to the map or my GPS or anything like that. But I met this guy. I'm trying to think what his name was, Kenny. And uh, so while I was standing there and talking to him, I said, Hey, Kenny, uh, am I in Alabama yet? He goes, Boy. Alabama's out there and up north. 
Something to that effect, along the lines of that. But I had to laugh because he called me a boy. <laughs> and, Imagine uh, doing a traffic report describing <laughs> all the roads. <laughs> but anyway, but he was pretty cool, good old Southern boy. And he had that was the guy that had that. Uh, I mean, you're driving by, you know, 40 miles an hour. I saw it. I had to have 50, 60, whatever I was doing. Probably speeding, knowing me. But at any rate, um, and under this brush of brush, um, stack of brush, or whatever you want to call it, you know, the weeds, whatever you want to call it, um, was a remnant of this hollowed out uh, 73, 74 Barracuda. Now, I was able to, if you're like me and, you, and you're a car guy, you know, you kind of, you can tell by a silhouette, even a mile away, even if it's under a car cover. I have to laugh because every time I watch my good friend uh, Steve Magnante do that thing on Barrett Jackson where they used to blindfold him and have him kind of walk around the car and kind of feel it, you know, and kind of grab the fenders and the grill and the bumper and all that kind of stuff and the side marker lights and whatnot, you know, and the hubcaps and wheels and then hood and hood scoop and then he'd kind of like fundle around there for a while and then he'd pretty much determine what car it was. Well, that's actually pretty easy. I could do that myself. Um, and um, haven't been challenged yet, but uh, I'm sure I could. But nonetheless, so as I was whisking by, I had to hit the binders and make a UE and come back and whip in there and check it out to, you know, see what my eyes were seeing there, whether it was a real live uh, Barracuda underneath the cover. And, of course, there was an old Mercedes sitting in there and a couple old tractors and some other cool stuff. So it was kind of neat. And, um, and again, I look forward to these trips. So I'll be going up to Alabama here probably in the next couple of weeks or something like that to do another uh, appraisal. And I don't stay on the interstate. I, I might stay on, I, like, I'll take 19, head up 27, cut through on the other side of I-10, maybe for a little bit, jump over to 27. Then I just kind of look uh, randomly. You know, if you've been driving for a while, I have a good sense of direction. So you see a bucket and it's all over. I see a bucket or I see a pallet or I see a car part or I see something laying alongside of the road. Guess what? It's going to wind up in the back. What did I pick up here recently? I don't remember. Oh, well, at one time we were going to uh, what? We were going across the bridge at Ellington on I on uh, I seventy five, and just recently before that, I had a pintle hitch in the back of my truck, and I just had the regular clip in there, and somebody basically liberated it. So strangely, but mine was an American-made one. Strangely enough, here we are going across the Ellington Bridge, and what's laying in the middle of the road on the right-hand side of the road, blocking the lane, basically, was a complete uh, pintle hitch receiver. So naturally, we flipped the beacons on because we were in the rollback, and we stopped, and I ran back to Rookwood, and I got that through that on my truck, and I still have it. So, hey, you, you win some, you lose some, you know. So, but in that case, I lost one and won one. So I'm I'm up, I'm even up. Although that was made in China, this one's made in China. It's not as good, obviously. But uh, for for light duty work, we'll we'll trust it. We'll take a chance. But anyway, so what I typically try to do is I try to take these side roads because you just never know. And I don't really I, I budget my time. But I always allow myself enough time that if I get sidetracked, detracted, distracted, uh, or derailed, no, um, if, if, if something interesting pops up as long as the side of the road, I naturally have to stop because I'm curious. Now, the one thing I haven't done in a long time, and I used to do this in Florida. We used to go out and about in the middle of the state. But unfortunately, a lot of the barn finds that we find around here really weren't that cool. But in the 70s, I used to find some pretty cool stuff, particularly when I would go up towards Brooksville and out there in Citrus and Hernando County. And it just seemed like the people were a little bit friendlier, but you would actually find some really cool stuff. And one time in particular, I remember I was uh, rooting around in some guy's field, and uh, – there was some old junk car out there, and then the, and the lady came out, and she was on a on a, some little quad, like a little golf cart type thing, and she says, uh, "Can I help you guys?" And I said, "Well, we saw this old car here, and we were we were actually standing on the fence. We didn't trespass, and uh, we said we'd like to go take a look at that old car that's sitting out there." And she says, "Sure." And she says, "While you're at it, I got another car in the barn," and so we went in the barn, and I'm seriously here it was literally under the hay bales 
was a Series 1 or Series 2. I'm not sure what year it was exactly, but it was a Lotus Elan sports car. It was yellow. And again, it may have been the same old story, you know, it belonged to my son. He left, never came back. The car's still there, you know. Um, but for whatever reason, the car was there. So we started pulling all the hay out of it, took everything out of the interior, and we were sitting and we had it all cleaned away. But now I'm like 16 years old. I'm in a high rods and muscle cars, even though my first car was an Austin Healey. I didn't really have a big interest in the car, so I didn't really follow up. But she did say she was interested in selling the car. And at the time, it was like really cheap. It was like, well, what do you think the car's worth? And I said, I have really no idea. I'm not that familiar with it. I was a kid, so I didn't really probably say anything too intelligent or too stupid either. But nonetheless, um, the car probably could have been had for a few hundred bucks. It had been sitting there for a long time, had run. And it was, and, and Lotus Elan is a fiberglass car with a tube chassis. And, you know, because, and, and Lotus has racing heritage. You know, it was a cool piece. And, uh, and I just remember the car from the TV show, The Avengers. And um, I really, truly thought those cars were kind of cool. Little four-cylinder twin cam, overhead cam engine, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, two SU carburetors. Of course, if I'm wrong, I'm sure Alan will call in and correct me because he's tuning in as usual. And he's the local automotive, uh, well, I don't know, should we call him a historian or a dictionary? One of the two. Um, either or. But he's Dep- w- Depends what you need. Yeah, he's well-read, as he puts it, and I'm well-pictured. Which means I looked at a lot of the pictures and I read the captions below. But I saw a lot of these cars. I physically. can't read much. <laughs> I can't read much. No, no, no. But anyway, um, but that was kind of a cool car. So um, that's the thing about taking going out there and traveling. I mean, you just never know. Here's the other thing too: is I don't know about you guys, but I go to bring a trailer a lot. And one of these days, when we get all caught up here, we're going to get Randy Nunnemaker on the show, and uh, he's one of the founding members or founders of the uh, of Bring a Trailer Bat, and uh, which started out just kind of like with. Uh, I'm gonna say editorials, and then they would, you know, pedal a car on there once or twice here and there, and then suddenly it turned into this giant auction site. But the thing about it is, it's really catered. Unlike any other auction site, um, aside from let's say, you know, Gooding auctions, RM auctions, Bonham's auctions, you know, uh, Barrett Jackson or Russo and Steel or anybody like that, this is really not an, an auction that's like. Uh, you know, extravagant and and a brick and mortar type. This is just basically an online auction, but they but it really caters to true serious car enthusiasts. And in this in this particular case, uh, Jay Leto has been known to have acquired two cars off of there. One I know was a uh, Falcon, sixty four Falcon, that was really tricked out. Nice piece, not too over the top. You know, it had a modified three hundred two in it and a five speed and a nine inch and some Willwood brakes and some trick pieces like that. But 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 there's some amazing stuff on it. There's some wild, extreme cars on there. Uh, a lot of Porsches, a lot of Jaguars, occasionally some Ferraris. Huge Porsche deal though. You know, a lot of Porsche stuff on there. Uh, a lot of muscle cars, a lot of Mustangs, a lot of Camaros, uh, resto mods, uh, vintage race cars. There's a '70 Boss 302 on there right now, which the last time I looked at, it, I think it had four or five hours to go, and it was at thirty-five thousand bucks. You couldn't build that car for thirty-five thousand bucks. I don't know what it sold for. That's the other thing about uh, Bring a Trailer. I actually use Bring a Trailer as a reference when I'm doing appraisals. Because when I do these appraisals on some unusual cars, I can Google bring a trailer, type in you know a specific year, make and model, and they completed sales pops up. I use eBay for completed sales. I use uh, Sports Car Market a lot for uh, completed sales. I use Meekums for completed sales. I use Barrett Jackson for completed sales. I use Russo and Steel. I use all the auction sites because once it's sold. Now keep in mind when you're doing appraisals on cars. 
you know, a lot of people don't um, really know what they're comparing. You know, apples to apples and apples to oranges and stuff. So you really have to know the cars. You know, when they sit there and say condition, you know, condition two, condition three, condition one. A condition one car is almost a perfect car that doesn't even get driven. It's pretty much a trailer queen, a showpiece. Whereas a um, a uh, a uh, uh, condition three car is a car that's been driven all the time. How are we doing on time there, bub? Hey, we're, we're about bottom of the hour here, 7.30, so... Uh... Okay, so... Wow. Um, at any rate, I think any what, rate. We, what we need to do is we need to kind of maybe fire up the stereo yeah. here. Let's and let's go to our second song, and then hopefully between now and then our guests will call in, and then uh, we'll have something uh, really cool to talk about. Mm-hmm. Sounds All good. Right. All right, thank do you. It. Bye. some help. This is it. One dollar a bottle. It works wonders on wounds. Works wonders on just about everything, huh? It can do most anything. How was it with stains? Do you really 
think you can shoot all those men down before they shoot you? Oh, no, no, Mr. Josie Wales. There is such a thing in this country called justice. Well, Mr. Carpetbagger, we got something in this territory called the Missouri Boat Ride. Hi, this is Tom Johnson of the Doobie Brothers, and you are rocking with Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back. And while we're waiting for our guest to call in here, I'll just continue with my, my stories of... Gentlemen, uh, start your engines! Of barn finds. Let's see, what other barn finds have I found here? Um, I had to go look at a uh, car one time, and it was a 36 Chevy... C Dan of some kind, if I remember correctly, you know. So basically, like a forty Ford sedan, which is really a good looking car, and uh, that was not a bad looking car. But this is a thirty, which is real popular. 30, 44, 39 forty Fords are really, really good looking cars, and um, and I actually like the thirty nine because I like the teardrop headlights a little bit better on a thirty nine than I do on a forty, and. Um, but this was the 36, and it was kind of, I'm not sure if bustle back's the right term, but it's basically kind of like a kind of squared off back end on it a little bit. But in the garage, under car cover, was this Studebaker. And uh, the Studebaker was a, I'm going to say, a uh, early, well, if you remember the movie, uh, the Muppets. <laughs> the first one. Uh, Kerber was driving his, uh, I'm going to say, like 49, 50, 51, somewhere around in there, um, Studebaker. You know, that's the one that's got the, looks like it's got a third eye in the center. And um, so anyway, this guy had this Studebaker under the cover. I could tell by the silhouette what it was. I'm not real sure. It's kind of like a 49, 50, 51 Ford. You know, they all pretty much look alike. They're, a lot of guys refer to them affectionately as a, as a shoebox. And... Um, so this car was um, uh, uh, so basically there's subtle difference between and same thing with the Merc 49, 50, 51 Merc and they pretty much all look the same you know the three years they made the body stuff but there's subtle differences in them anyway so this is the same thing with the Studebakers 49, 50, 51 and if I remember it correctly of course you know, if you're listening and you know more than I do feel free to call in and give us a holler but at any rate um, so I looked at the car and it was really, you know, just an average paint job, you know, an average interior. It wasn't uh, exciting. It wasn't over the top. And in fact, the colors probably uh, didn't really complement the car because it was kind of a not a pale, pale yellow. It was a little bit more of a louder yellow. And the interior was yellow with, I think, green accents, but kind of like an avocado green and yellow. Now, back in the day, I guess that was kind of a okay color combination. It kind of matched, I guess. But, and then the wheels and tires on it looked pretty normal. And then, so what he did is, before he opened the hood, he went in there and he wanted me to listen to the car. So he started the car up. 
and uh, I sat in there and just gave it a couple squishes on the uh, on the go fast pedal, and uh, it fired right up. And I thought, wow, you know, pretty nice sounding car. It had a nice set of mufflers on it. it was mellow. It wasn't like you know um, Flowmasters or anything like that, or or um, any kind of glass packs. It was just a uh, dual exhaust coming out of let's say like uh, Corvair turbo mufflers or something like that. So after the car's running for a while. He gets out of the car, shuts it off. He shuts it off, then he gets out of the car. And uh, usually in that order, right, Bobby? And um, so at any rate... I've seen you do all the covenant, any any order. <laughs> any order, yeah. Well, it depends on where I'm at and whether I'm broke down or not, whether I'm getting ready to push it. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, he, he popped the hood, and lo and behold, there was a 392 Hemi sitting under the hood. Um, with a pair of quads on it. And I thought, wow, that was really, really cool. It was a very, very clean, nice, neat installation. Now, the guy had a couple other street rods and stuff, and they were kind of, you know, so-so. I mean, I wasn't excited about the tire wheel package on it and the colors and you know, some of the stuff that the guy had done on it. But the Studebaker was very simple, very tastefully done in terms of the overall um, conversion. Okay, and uh, I don't know what it had for a rear end under it. Looked like it had a, um, you know, typical either a big Oldsmobile or a Ford or, you know, it was a, a solid rear end, but it was a pig type rear end. So I don't know if that was correct for a Studebaker or not. But I do know that the the motor and transmission were out of a Chrysler, and they were in there, and whoever did it, you know, did a very very nice job. And so you know that's that again. It's kind of like when you're praising the car. You know, you look at the quality of the the modifications if the modifications are really really nicely and tastefully done and fit and finish you know that's important i mean you know you can hack stuff i mean you you're familiar with the term rat rod or hot rod or i mean a hot rod in its truest sense is stuff put together because the guy that built an original hot rod didn't have a lot of money, and he was just putting a big motor and a little car and trying to make the car as light as possible so he could go as fast as possible, and uh, usually in a straight line. And um, sports car guys were the same thing. They did the same, you know, they took. Uh, I mean, you would be amazed at how many. In fact, you'll see them on Bring a Trailer every once in a while. You'd be amazed at how many cars, sports cars, out of the day were. Uh, and there was one I was just reading recently when it came up for sale. And it was an old Mercedes 300 SL Roadster. And, you know, keep in mind, back when that car was seven or eight years old, it was just another old German convertible. You know, it wasn't anything special. And uh, some guy found that car. It might have been abandoned. You never know. Usually the guy that bought the car originally had some money because that was a $10,000, $11,000 car back in the day. But sometime in the early to mid-60s, you know, that car was just another car. And, uh, you know, and, and, and back in the 60s, 50s and 60s, keep in mind, every year they came out with a new body a new car, a new style. Something was changed. So a 64 looked like a, was different than a 65, which was different than a 66, which was different than a 67, and so on. You know, so I mean, and then people got rid of the cars always so they could get the newer, newer car. Where today, you know, you can't tell from uh, a 2000 from a uh, from a 2006. Ah, we have Bobby just came in. We have our special guest for the evening. I'm delighted to welcome to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the legendary founding member of uh, Blackhawk, the Henry Paul Band, and one of the original members and recording artists with the a local band here called The Outlaws. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Henry Paul. Henry, how are you? Robert. Well, I'm a day late and a dollar short, but here I is. You is, and uh, welcome to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'll tell you what, I'm delighted to have you on the show, and uh, why don't you just give us a little brief background on yourself and uh, tell some of our listeners you know, how The Outlaws came to be. Right. Well, I graduated from King High in 
seven. And uh, that's the money year for the Corvette. And uh, as well, so 67 was a big year for classic cars. Number two, the band started in the bars in North Tampa. We uh, kind of slugged it out for two, three years, caught a break in 74. We discovered sort of by Ronnie Van Zamp. We opened a show for Skinner in Nashville. He called his manager. His manager signed us to a a management deal and a publishing deal and he had a lot of juice back then a lot of power and got us signed to uh, helped us get us signed to Arista Records and our first record Clive went out and killed for it we had green vests and high tides on it and the rest is rock history as they say <laughs> okay you uh, you were talking about cars there for a second are you a car guy too because you are talking about the Mustang and the Camaro um, and major major american car guy you know i i dabble i i don't have a collection and i but i what i do is i buy a car and i renovate it i keep it and sell it and then i start over uh it started back in uh probably the middle 70s i bought a 53 chevrolet from my one of my best friends his mom's was his mom's car and i had it painted and i kind of cleaned it up and you know 53 chevys are kind of big and fat and square and very eisenhower looking you know they're very kind of blocky and old-fashioned looking and then my second car i sold that and my second car was uh, a 57 bel air sport coupe which i had it set up to race and uh it was turquoise with a white top. I kept that for a few years. I bought a 65 Stingray. I kept that for a few years. I met a young girl. She moved down. I sold that and got her a car. And then I bought a 53 Chevrolet pickup and uh, renovated that and got it just gorgeous like marine blue and just perfect and kept that for a few years and sold it and i've got now i've got a 94 uh red red stingray ragtop that i've had for a few years and i bought it at the low ebb of its money value but you know it's in mint condition and i'm going to keep it for a few more years and probably turn it I've, i'll probably go back and buy another bel air 57 Sounds like you're a Chevy guy. Well, I mean, that, those are the funny cars. Okay. Ford's got a couple of them, not very many, but mostly <laughs> the Mustang. You know, mostly the Mustang GT stuff and the Cobra stuff is, is money. But, yeah, Ford, all those Victorias and stuff in the 50s, no. No, no. All right. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about music. Well, wait a minute. While we're talking about cars, how about we jump over to guitars? So, what kind of guitars were you into back in the day? I know you played a well, lot of acoustic, but did uh, but occasionally I see you out there yeah. with a, with an electric. So, what's your fancy? Well, sure. No, I mean in the Outlaws, you have to have an electric guitar. I I, I started out with a what was that? I first bought was my first in the band before the Outlaws, Sienna 
I had a Starfire. It was made by, uh, God, I'll think of a name, but it was a really nice kind of 335 knockoff. Uh-huh. And then in the Outlaws, I, I had a, I started out, I played a Gretsch, Tennessean. Then I bought a, a Les Paul, like a mid 70s uh, standard. I kept that for a few years, and I went to a 330, a white custom 330, like which looks like a 335, but it's got the P90s mounted on the top of the body. And that was like the best guitar. And then I uh, I got a red. I was given a red 335 by Pat Simmons at Madison Square Garden on Halloween in 1976, which I brought home and refinished white because I was a big Richie Furay from Poco fan and I wanted a white guitar like him. And then I played that for a few years and still have that one. Good. I had a 62 model 335 and I broke the headstock off that and thought it devalued it to the point where I shouldn't keep it and I sold it, which I should have never done. But now I play Gretsch's. I, I play White Falcons, you know, with the humbuckers and they're really nice for rhythm guitar. They're clean, but they have a little bite. And it has its own sound. Steve Grisham plays a Strat, and Dale Oliver plays a, a Gibson Firebird. Now he's playing, he's back to a Les Paul, so I'm kind of in the middle. And then with the Blackhawk thing, I play Gibson J200s, the big ones. I got a black and red one, and then I have a Gibson uh, F model mandolin, a black one that I play. So not unlike Chevy, I'm a Gibson guy and a Gibson okay. guy. <laughs> Well, well, let me ask you this. When you bought your guitars back in the day, when and, and let's just use Gibson as an example, did you go to Kalamazoo and pick one out, or did you just go in a store and just buy one? No, i just go in a store and buy one. I went to the plant in Kalamazoo in the mid-'70s while I was in the outhouse, while they were still very much in business. Uh, but you know, I mean, the, the whole vintage guitar thing was yet to happen. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't. Or at least for me, we we didn't think about guitars from the standpoint of intrinsic value. You know, we just played what we played, bought what we bought, and, you know, kind of had what we had. That 330 I mentioned was gorgeous, and I would die to have it back. But that's kind of the only guitar I ever turned loose of that I really regretted. I have, you know, a collection of guitars now, mostly acoustics. And uh, it's a modest collection, but I mean, you know, there's more guitars than ten people can play at the same time. So, <laughs> okay. Well, now you're I don't know what I do with them. You're in Nashville now, and I know that I was out there in Nashville a couple of years ago with my son. We went to Nam, and obviously, yeah. I'm I'm not a very good guitarist. I stay like uh, below the five first, below the first seven frets and and open chords, and I'm and I'm okay. A few, maybe a few bar chords and a couple of licks and stuff. But we were, had to go. My son and I went to Gruen's, and then we went to Carter's. I mean, do you ever stroll into their guitar shop and uh, see what they got going on? Yeah, I did, especially early on. Even when the Outlaws in the mid seventies were touring and we came to Nashville, we'd always go to you know Gruen's and and look at stuff. But you know, all that stuff is retail plus and. 
you know, if you have deep pockets and that's that's what you want to spend it on, I mean, you can find a lot of really nice guitars there. Uh, Carter's came a little later. I, I'm not too familiar with them, but I, I don't. Yeah, I don't go there anymore. I, I'm kind of at the point where I have what I have and I like what I like, and I'm not searching and looking to buy anything in particular. I, I'm I'm good with what I got. Cool. Let's talk a little bit about music. Um, this is just my observation, but correct me if I'm wrong. When you were with the Outlaws, you know, people, and we've had Ricky uh, Medlock's been on our show. Um, um, I've yeah. talked to a couple other uh, Southern rock guys. We knew the guys from Molly Hatchett real well. Um, and, uh, you know, we use the term Southern rock, but it's really not Southern rock. It's just kind of like uh, rock and roll music with a little bit of a Southern flair, I guess you could call it. But when you were with Blackhawk, Blackhawk seemed to me that it was unlike the Outlaws and Henry Paul, Blackhawk was more country. And did you kind of, was that intended to go with a little bit more than a country flavor? I mean, more like a Nashville country song type music? Well, yeah. I mean, when I moved to Nashville, it was to get into the country music business specifically. Mm -hmm. and, and it wasn't, we weren't, you know, messing around. We, you know, we, we were on a major label. Country music is a, is a hit-driven format, and if you don't have hit records in country music, I mean, it's gone. So, you know, we were definitely invested in that as the format, and we wrote and recorded music that is left of center and a little bit different than the mainstream, but still and for all, we had a string of hits that were, you know, Top fives, top tens, number ones. You know, it was, we were definitely, you know, nominated for CMA year after year. We were definitely in the mainstream of hit driven country music. We weren't, you know, Southern rock or any of that at that time. It was, I declared my intentions to be a country music artist, and that's what it was. Now here it is, all these years later, and 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 the Outlaws is still going. You had an album out in 2012 that was called "It's About Pride," which is actually a great song, by the way. And then 2020 Dang. Dixie Highway, which is another one. I think we just played part of that on the song, but while we were waiting for you, that song, which is another great song, and you're still out there touring. And uh, it, you, I mean, it uh, you know you, the the legacy lives, you live on, uh, the music's great. And uh, what's what's like your big inspiration? Is it just something that says, "Look, as long as I'm here, I can do this. I'm going to." do this right well yes and no i mean i want to i want my goal for the outlaws was to read and record new music that was relevant to the band's original personality number one and two contemporary in a sense that it you know reflected the first three records that i was part of in that band that said, you know, the songwriting is still at a very high level. Dixie Highway is a really well-written record and a really well-played record. And and so, you know, my goal is to, is to perpetuate the brand's musical personality through new music and, uh, and put a show on vocally and instrumentally that soundly in the in the center of the band's style you know with 
very true to the band's original style vocally and, and, and musically and and I want to continue to do good work that way and and uh, you know perpetuate the brand into the in what is 2020 which is a lost year and I mean we're going to be at this for another you know at least five more years as far as I can tell I mean we're going to be doing this for a while and we've got another album coming, and we've got another live record coming. We've got a soundtrack record that we're working on, and I mean, we we want to continue to, you know, push the brand up the road from the standpoint of musical contribution. Do you like um, touring? Is touring? I mean, as you get a little bit older, you know, it's a little bit. You know, we're not spring chickens anymore and do you do you still like getting out on the road touring a lot in front of large fans and do you um i mean how many tours a year is is are you know open venues do you like doing that that you guys are real comfortable with as opposed to the, well, in the we old days play where we're, at, we're invited to go and play whether it's blackhawk or the outlaws and even the henry paul band does a few shows but the simple answer is yes i really enjoy it i mean if you go out and play an outlaw show and and the core audience that loves your band that grew up loving the band and are so happy that the band is still alive and well and doing something significant you know the smiles on their faces bored and it may sound cliche but it's really true of that those those uh moments in the course of a, a two-hour show, and you know, on a, any given night, uh, it's always very rewarding to, you know, meet with people after the show and sign them whatever and talk to them briefly and get you know their appreciative you know comments. And, and all of that still drives the you know the touring end of it for me uh it's a way to make a living you know by doing something that you're pretty good at and that you really enjoy i mean i enjoy the camaraderie of the band and the crew on the bus i enjoy going to different towns i love being home i love being on the bus i love coming home you know i love leaving to go out you know, we get to go literally everywhere there is to go. I mean, Europe and Canada and all around the United States, and it's just fun. And both Blackhawk and the Outlaws, you know, are still very, oh, what's the word? Uh, gosh, they're very, uh, uh, they generate a significant income, you know, between the two bands in the course of a year. I mean, I'm very proud of the fact that the guys in the band and the crew are making, you know, a really good living compared, you know. It's all relative, but I mean, the guys are doing good, and, and we've worked hard to rebuild the brand, and we've managed to get it back to a very high level. Our audience is awesome. I mean, they're really a, a great group of people and the band is and we're you know the show is very professional and you know, we bust our ass and put a put a good face on both of those musical brands 
Well, Henry, we uh, unfortunately, we're up against the clock, but we would love to have you back again sometimes because I had a whole litany of questions I wanted to ask you. But uh, nonetheless, um, we got about 30 seconds left. If people want to find out more about you and your touring dates and stuff, how do they go about doing that, Henry? Well, there's henrypaul.com, there's blackhawklive.com, and then there's outlawsmusic.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook. My son, my wife, my our farm, we have live out in the country in Tennessee, and it's all pretty transparent. I mean, just come and say hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It really, it really is. I mean, it's pretty low tech, and... Uh, Let's put it this way. The fence isn't that high. Well, I'll tell you what. The next time they have Nam in Nashville, I'll definitely give you a, a, a shout, and maybe we can get together, and uh, you can show me a few licks. And, uh, but yeah, man, it'd be great to see you, and I apologize for being late tonight. I swear I, I had it on my radar screen, and I was making chicken and dumplings for dinner <laughs> for my family, and... Uh, <laughs> I was just about ready to launch into my dumpling recipe and I looked at my watch and I had my ringer off and Darren was beating me over the head on the phone like, wake up, you dim ding bat, call your friend. And so I apologize for being late. No worries. I thank you very much for coming on the show this evening. I want to thank Henry Paul from the Outlaws, the Henry Paul Band, and Blackhawk. Henry, we'll definitely have you on again sometime. In the meantime, best of luck to you. Hopefully, i see you in Nashville sometime. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget, every Tuesday night here on the Tam Talk Radio Network for the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsport and music. Henry, thank you very much. Uh, all right, Robert. Have a good night, man. Thank you. And, uh, hey, don't forget to uh, tell your friends about us every Tuesday night here, and we'll see you some of the car shows. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WDCF, Dade City. FM 102.3. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen. <laughs>